It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I can't believe it, but uh, we have so much to report. This is probably one of the busiest, most consequential shows we'll have as we try to put in perspective what's taken place over the last two weeks, over the last two hours, over the last two days. Uh, hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade, The Brian Kilmeade Show, coming your way. And I'm coming your way after the worst civil unrest, the most pervasive across 41 states that I've experienced in my lifetime. I'm talking about major looting and riots in D.C., New York City, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Portland, Chicago. I cannot believe I'm saying this. I'm not looking back at the 1960s. I'm talking about last night. I'm talking about over the last two days. Believe it or not, this was originally all about George Floyd's death, the 46-year-old who life was taken because of some of the worst policing uh, you will ever see in your life, hopefully. When you see this, this horrible cop who's had 17 violations over the last 19 years, three of which involved violence, and we'll get more details in this, all charges dropped, by the way. When you see what took place, and I rarely encourage you to go to the New York Times, but if you go to the New York Times right now and you play this video down, the total timeline, and you see the way uh, George, uh, George uh, Floyd his last moments were as bad as you could ever imagine it. They talk about him having heart disease. They talk about him being drunk. None of it matters. 46 years old, would have lived another 30, 40 years if it wasn't for the irresponsible behavior of Derek Chavon. And we're going to talk about that and what he's getting, and we're going to try to break this down throughout the show. I have Dan Bongino coming up to put it in perspective, Secret Service, NYPD background, who better? Jim Hansen on Antifa, because these protests are organized. This looting is systematic. We're going to break this down the best we can, and I urge the president to make an address tonight, not just to cheerlead, not to say I understand, but to tell us where we go. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If you have a man with your knee on his neck and he is telling you, you're killing me, I cannot breathe, you're killing me, how long does it take for premeditation to manifest itself? I think you need to do what fits the facts. And to me, I think it's a murder one charge. Derek Chavon, the Minneapolis officer who started it all, his case and the fate of the other officers involved front and center. Number two. In many places, it appears the violence is planned, organized, and driven by far-left extremist groups using Antifa-like tactics, many of whom travel from outside the state. That is uh, Bill Barr. He's acting swiftly, too, as attorney general. Who are these rioters? And how do we separate them from the protesters who are upset about the series of brutal race-related killings? Too organized and effective to be rage-inspired more like anti-American fuel. Number one. We support the right of peaceful protesters, and we hear their pleas. But what we are now seeing on the streets of our cities has nothing to do with justice or with peace. Six straight days of unrest in dozens of cities. Stores stripped and looted. Some historic buildings in Washington, D.C. and others on fire and defiled. We have the aftermath and the best of the best on how to stop it. And that's Dan Bongino. He's on deck. So I don't want to take too much time, but just know this. 
They defiled St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City, graffiti everywhere. They did the same thing to the Lincoln Memorial and World War II Memorial. They actually ransacked AFL-CIO, a Teamsters Union building, the Veterans Affairs building in Washington, D.C., and St. John's Church, where so many historic things have taken place. I could not go through it in a three-hour show. But they blew up the, they firebombed the basement. Thankfully, they could save most of it. Meanwhile, the protesters got, the rioters got so close, they chased off our own uh, reporter, Leland Bittert, and they forced the president and his family into the bunker of the White House. These are so-called, these are supposedly Americans with the most anti-American behavior you can imagine. And I am not talking people who want to have uh, the memory of George laid out. And not, not many people saying, I've had it with the race-related crimes. When you see that dog owner uh, being told by a black man in Central Park, hey, can you put your dog on a leash? And then she's screaming, he's being attacked, caught on camera. When you see what happened in Georgia two months ago with that, uh, the father and son killing a, jo- a black jogger, unacceptable, inexcusable, unexplainable. And then you see what happened in Louisville and on top of that in Minneapolis. I get that. But what I think we're seeing in New York City, when they're wiping out the top stores in all of New York through Soho, one of the most eclectic places anywhere, from Chicago to, uh, to Los Angeles to Santa Monica and San Diego, man, they know what they do and they know how to avoid the cops. They know how to wreck this place. They know how to strip it bare. And they know how to get out of there before they're arrested. You just don't wing that. Some of the outrage we're seeing is not just people, Republicans or Democrats. They're witnessing the riots and saying they can't, un- can't explain it. Dermot Shea joined me on Fox and Friends, New York NYPD Commissioner, cut six. We've had four days in a row of significant protests. Uh, each, each day has been a little bit of different. Some very uh, violent directed at our officers. Last night was a very peaceful day overall. Some skirmishes, but when it got dark, Things changed, and they changed rapidly. Large groups of people had no inclination towards protest once it got dark. Uh, We are still out there, actually, as we speak, making arrests. Uh, There there have been hundreds of arrests. Hundreds of arrests. Yep. About uh, 4,000. Not close to him. You mean almost 400,000. It's not possible for law enforcement to do it. I get it. And they're in an impossible spot. I understand it. But what I'm trying to say is, these people aren't there because of racial injustice. They are there to take advantage of empty stores that are unguarded and cops that couldn't cover an entire city, even though they got 41,000 in their ranks. Bill Barr, the attorney general, thinks he knows the makeup of these groups. Cut 18. In many places, it appears the violence is planned, organized, and driven by anarchic and left extremist groups, far-left extremist groups, using Antifa-like tactics, many of whom travel from outside the state to promote the violence. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, quick always to go with protesters, notice there's something different about this. Cut 22. Some protesters last night came with an agenda of violence and incitement and they meant to harm police officers, and they did harm police officers. They meant to attack police vehicles, and they did. They meant to attack police precincts. And that is all 
purely unacceptable. It does not reflect our values. We will not accept that. Look, you're not going to get on this show me making any excuses for law enforcement today. I'm as pro-law enforcement as any host in the country, and that's why you have to point out bad behavior when you see it. My goodness, they want to lump all law enforcement in with the horrific behavior of the Minneapolis police? Not all of them, but what I saw, I just saw a reporter, and we all saw this by now, I hope, a black reporter and CNN on their morning show on Friday get arrested live on the air as if he is a threat to peace. With, with buildings burning all around them, they go ahead and cuff this guy, take his microphone, later said they didn't know he was a member of the media. Do you think we're stupid? I mean, who, who trained these people? And now we're all paying the price in all these cities, an excuse given for anti-American behavior, not the, I have a problem with uh, inequity of racial behavior, and not that I have a problem with law enforcement behavior. I believe a lot of this is anti-American behavior. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Dan Bongino. Secret Service, 60 hurt over the weekend trying to protect the White House. Countless cops are hurt. Four shot. Four people are dead. And then Jim Hansen, he's going to go inside the Antifa organization. One expert writes in his book, the only one I could find written in 2017, uh, it is not true that Antifa is one head, one group. It's more of an ideology without a leadership. Man, they seem to be coordinated. They seem to have a quick reaction team. They seem to almost be trained. I find it hard to believe there isn't, unless they all have a knack for destruction. And they're all young. 18 to 30, which is scary for the future of this country. Got a busy day. I want to hear from you, too. I know you have a lot to say, especially because most of you are locked up from this pandemic and these governors sitting on their hands rather than opening up their cities. 1-866-408-7669. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. And I will code what I really want to say to Donald Trump. It's two words. It begins with F and it ends with U. Isn't that classy? Mayor Haircut, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, decides to say that message uh, to the people of Chicago who overrun by protest. 
which, by the way, most of which have nothing to do with racial injustice, have to do with hating this country. Dan Bongino joins us right now, former Secret Service agent, former NYPD officer. His podcast one of the hottest in the country and certainly the most respected, The Dan Bongino Show. He also author of Exonerated the Failed Takedown of President Trump. Dan, what's your reaction to that classless comment? Well, it just shows you the complete vacuum of political leadership right now we're seeing in America's blue cities. Brian, these are our citizens. This isn't a joke, okay? Partisan politics, throw it out the window. I have friends. I grew up in New York. I lived in Maryland for over a decade. They're very liberal, and they're close friends. They're being hurt by this, too. We were in the middle of a pandemic. Their businesses now are under assault. Their communities are under assault. I had a friend who was driving down in Maryland yesterday. She put it out on Twitter, and someone in the middle of a protest got in front of her car and called her a white B-word. You can figure the rest. I mean, this is, this, this is so deeply disturbing what's going on. As a former police officer, I warned a week ago, I think talking to you on Fox and Friends, I said, you have to get a lid on this immediately. You have to take the Rudy Giuliani approach because once you move from crowd control into riot control, it is a completely different model of policing. You get into a triage mode and you cannot stop what's coming. You have to stop it in the beginning. What Giuliani did in New York and why he never had a significant civil disturbance in his time is the first person that threw a punch got arrested. The second person that threw a rock got arrested. There was no third person. That was the end of it. It stopped there. That's not what they did here. They took this let them vent, let them air their grievances approach, which is fine for legitimate protesters. It's actually a great thing to assemble and protest. That's what America is all about. But the minute criminality starts and initiates it, if you don't put a lid on it, it is over. You move to riot control, and that is nearly impossible to stop. So do you, I, I'm, right now, when you spread out a map of New York City, the commissioners seem unable, even with 41,000 cops in uniform, to control the city. Does that mean we had bad tactics, or does that mean it's just impossible to control a city this big with this many targets? What do you think? No, it's not impossible. And I'm sorry, I watched the appearance this morning of the commissioner. He was weak. I don't know the man personally, and I don't mean to make this personal. I'm not trying to aggravate an already incendiary situation, but he was weak. They should have stopped this from the start. And I don't know if he was taking his guidance from de Blasio or what. But the political leadership at the top has decimated the New York City Police Department. I've been in communication with law enforcement at the city and federal level, friends of mine. They know exactly what to do, and they know exactly how to stop this. And I told you how to do it. You declare a curfew. You declare a curfew of the first lawbreaker and agitator. You send in a team to pull him out of the crowd or her out of the crowd, and you take them out. When you get rid of the agitators, you get rid of the problem. Brian, a lot of those people there are there to protest what they feel was an injustice I think we can all agree on. When, but the 80-20 rule applies with crowd control. The 80-20 rule. 20% of the people cause 80% of your problems. And when you pull them out of the crowd and you shut that down and you, you can divvy up and cordon off the crowd and let them do their thing peacefully, you will find that you take the spark away and the fuel away from that riot fire and it, it just stays a protest. But that's not what they did. They took this let them vent approach, which has failed America for now 200 years. It's a disaster. So what is Antifa? How would you characterize them? And is it possible to get this planner's ward and rip it out by the roots? 
because one of the experts who wrote a book on it says they don't have a head. That, that's nonsense. And I, I just tweeted this out. And I sincerely wish from the bottom of my heart that people with a public platform would stop saying that. It is not true. I don't know what source is telling them that Antifa is not an organized group with a head. By the way, Al-Qaeda had different heads. And they said everybody likes to pin it on bin Laden. Did you notice bin Laden was killed and it didn't go away? Why? Because they operated with various subsets. It's not a formal hierarchy. It's not a military unit. It's not a police station. That's not the way this works. It is an organized group with an identifiable label and mission. They are an anti-First Amendment, anti-free speech, anarchy group committed to the destruction of the United States. Anyone parroting the talking point that there is not known leadership is, frankly, bull. You can figure in the rest. Bull effing you. That is not true. I have friends in federal law enforcement at the White House now texting me daily that identified known Antifa leadership, known leaders, are there at the White House organizing strategic attacks from various points on the White House. I promise you, they are not lying. This is not the hallmark of a local street gang. This is real. And I wish the media would stop saying that. That's a left wing talking point designed to take the pressure off Antifa and to pressure the DOJ to not investigate them for what they are. 4,400 arrested, 27 states called up the National Guard. Uh, Four are dead. 33 cities are under curfew at this hour. We have not uh, mobilized our army but uh, would you consider doing that? And number two, would you, would you urge the president or not urge the president to have an address tonight or today? Yes, and I'm glad we agreed on that. Yes, if there was ever a time in American history for a responsible, leadership-focused, Oval Office address to the American people, this is it. The president knows what to do here, I assure you. I'm not saying that. I don't worship golden calf politicians. I don't work for the president. I'm not asking anyone for a job. I'm just a guy who's got a show, who's seen the inside and ran himself. The president knows what to do. Secondly, no, he should absolutely not mobilize the military. Use the National Guard in a support role. This is a trap. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Sadly, these politicians in these liberal cities are making politics out of this. They know how to stop this, and they won't do it. There is nothing they would like more than the president of the United States to mobilize the military, put them on the front lines of this, to have an incident break out, and then blame this entire thing on President Trump. The police departments know how to handle this. Mobilize every National Guard everywhere. Don't wait for a problem to start. Stop it now. Mobilize them in Wyoming and New York City. There should be no excuses. They should right now, today, but not the U.S. military. It's a mistake. That is a big mistake. I'm telling you they'll politicize that, and they'll turn this into a political fight that will only exacerbate the situation, and the left-wing media will only contribute by dumping kerosene on that fire. Good point, Dan. I, I love your perspective. I just I know when people want to make the country better and they get angry, 
There's a lot of people here who just want to destroy the country and they want to they want to bring it down. They want to make the cities impossible to recover from. The pandemic's bad enough. This will be four times as bad. And that's what I'm seeing now uh, in, from Minneapolis to New York City to Washington to Boston and Chicago. Dan Bongino will watch you. will listen to your podcast today. Dan Bongino Show. Thanks, Dan. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think the actual perpetrators of the violence, the ones that are on the street, that are burning down minority-owned businesses and restaurants who've already suffered through this terrible covid uh, situation and, and are at risk of losing their business, and now they're seeing them burn to the ground. Those are Antifa radical militants, and uh, we've seen them before in other protests, and we need to get to the bottom of it. But look, I condemn all extremists on the right or on the left, but, uh, but the ones who are out on the street throwing the Molotov cocktails and attacking our police, who are acting with, you know, for the most part with restraint and heroically, uh, you know, th- th- that has to stop. I 100% agree, and that's Robert O'Brien, the National Security Advisor. Uh, nobody is defending the actions of the Minnesota police. This is different than anything else, and no, everyone's horrified by what happened in Georgia, Louisville, and were abhorred by this woman in Central Park. But what about the unrest? Is this unrest related to racial impropriety? Is it is it related to uh, police brutality, or is this anti-American behavior perpetrated and led by Antifa? Let's uh, take in Jim Hansen. Jim Hansen is the president of Security Studies Group and served in the U.S. Army Special Forces. Hey, Jim, who, are, who is Antifa and why do you believe that they're behind this? Well, Brian, Antifa is a loose organization of the worst radical anarchist crazies on the left. And the difficulty is when you say who is Antifa, where is Antifa, how do you, you know, how do you identify Antifa, they're a lot more difficult to do that to than something like, say, the, the Sopranos, a crime family we can understand. They're more like Al-Qaeda, who's got kind of this franchise model. If you put on a black mask and you burn stuff down in favor of radical leftist causes, then they make you Antifa. You become Antifa. You're absorbed into them. But that's why we need tools like in the Patriot Act when they are designated as a terrorist group to be able to follow them around the country and track them down and catch them. How many are they? How many sympathizers? How many people sign on? It's an awful lot. I mean, if you look now, here's here's the problem. There is a hardcore group of organizers who believe in overthrowing this country and turning it into a socialist hellhole. But there is a much larger group of kind of strap hangers and Mercedes Marxists, you know, who like to play at being a revolutionary. And one of the things that designating them as a terrorist group will do, they will make it much tougher for those people to just go to a riot, tear some stuff up, because if instead of a vandalism charge, which is what they've been getting, the police have had to play kind of catch and release with these idiots. If there is an actual terrorism charge in the offing and they're looking at maybe 20 years in the supermax, they may not want to play that game. And then you don't go from the small core who can't do anything to a larger mob, which is doing what we see right now and tearing the country up. You know, there's one, uh, Lara Logan, and I've just found it, and I just retweeted it too, has a pallet of bricks just randomly dropped off in streets. Then out, uh, out come the bricks. Everyone comes and grabs one. Hundreds of people come by. 
to pick up these group, this whole bunch of bricks. Turns out those bricks get thrown through windows and at cops. Who's dropping off the bricks? Who is communicating with what blocks to go down? How long to stay? How one group smashes the glass and the other one darts in? You can't come up with that overnight. No, and that's the tools we'll get by a terrorist designation. They'll be able to then have nationwide surveillance, nationwide ability to check into the messaging apps they're using and the way they're coordinating those actions. We also get material support becomes a crime. That means the guy who buys the bricks and dumps them off is now a terror supporter, and it's going to make it much less likely that people are going to get involved. So what we're going to do is start isolating them from their support elements, and it will become you know, anathema to support Antifa because they're now not just cool revolutionaries. They're terrorists, and you could go to jail for it. And that's how we'll, we'll break it up is by making it impossible for some of the, the leftist groups like Black Lives Matter to use them as the shock troops for their protests. They know. Anyone on the left knows if they hold a protest, they can count on the black bloc and Antifa to show up and tear some things up and make sure they get burning stuff for coverage. If we stop that, we can stop the riots. So Mark Bray um, is a, says he is historian, studies fascism, and he wrote a book, Antifa. And he says, quote, the idea of Antifa masterminding what's happening over the last few days, if you know anything about the subject, is ludicrous. The anti-fascist handbook, there is a real investment on the part of the administration and their allies in portraying these recent protests as organized from top down, not a spontaneous outpouring of rage. What's your reaction to his assessment? I think he's mostly correct. The problem is they are not organized from the top down, you know, like the U.S. military, where someone at the top is giving orders, a commander in chief of Antifa. What they are is a bunch of like-minded radicals who can coalesce to a critical mass and then start tearing stuff up. But they do coordinate while you're doing it. And the reason we want the terrorist designation is because Andy McCarthy made the great point, greatest my legal mind on the right. He said, we've got the laws we need to file against these people for criminal charges. Now, what we don't have, though, and where I disagree with Andy, we don't have the mindset to take them on as a group that's trying to tear down the country using terror tactics. Once we look at them like that, it doesn't matter how they organize. They're doing this, and we need to take the best tools available to shut them down. So it's going to be interrogation, isn't it? I mean, we have over 4,400 arrested, some of them obviously upset about George Floyd, some of them upset about South Carolina shooting. But the majority are these anarchists. How do we approach a coordinated interrogation where we share information right now domestically? The same way we did when we looked at what was happening with either international terror groups or domestic terror groups. You start looking for the commonalities. And that's why, again, a terror designation gives us the ability to share information across law enforcement agencies, across jurisdictions, across uh, communications platforms, and use all those things and start cross-referencing them and connecting the dots. And you'll find the dots. They're there. You know, they talk to each other. You find the same people at the same places. And once you've got the names of the folks who are the, the nexuses for these things, then you start spreading out from there and scarfing up all of their associates and all the rest of it. So it's, it's known art. We learned how to do this to fight terror overseas and elsewhere. We know how to do it, and the FBI knows how to do it. We just now are going to give them the ability by recognizing these guys for what they are, 
They are terrorists trying to tear down the United States. All right, and it's got to start right away. I'm worried about tonight. I mean, if we can focus on this group, great. What about tonight? What's, what's going to make tonight different, Jim Hansen? Yeah, I wish I could say something. I think there's, there's a, a dis- growing disgust, not just among the population, but among the, the law enforcement who have been let down by the mayors and governors who have refused to recognize and respond to this threat properly. They back down, and that emboldened these losers. So at this point, you can't do anything but hit them with everything you've got. You've got to bring out every cop you've got. You've got to arrest everybody even close to this and let, make it painful for them. You know, I mean, they, as long as they feel emboldened that they're not going to pay a price for this, they'll keep going. We need to raise the stakes for the people who are doing all this damage. Yeah, and it's unbelievable. The way we're wearing masks now helps them. Usually if you're wearing a mask, we got you. Now everybody's wearing a mask. And then number two is, uh, yeah, and and number two is they are making a lot of money. And what they're also doing is bringing the country down. We knew it was going to be hard coming back from the pandemic. But now 41 states have major cities that have been brought to its knees, and it's going to be so hard to, to restock those stores, redo those storefronts, and hire back those people. I mean, this really set, is setting us back, and people are joyful, not us, not my listeners, but are joyful about that prospect. Final thought, Jim? Unfortunately, it's the same leaders on the left who let the, the lockdown go too long and who shut down the economy. Now they let the, the rioters destroy it a second time. They need to pay for that. And they're not just black. They're not just white. They're everything. And they're all young. They look 18 to maybe 30. Do you assess the same way? Yeah, I think the, that's the, the criminal crowd. And I also think, though, the Democrat leaders of these cities and states who have uh, allowed this to fester and, and go unpunished are the ones who also need to be taken out of office. The people deserve better Jim, leadership. Jim, yeah. All right, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Jim Hansen, thanks so much. Good to be with you. All right. Uh, on a lighter note, uh, very excited. Uh, we have a brand new affiliate launching today, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, WTKN FM 94.5. Uh, you'll be um, hearing us every day, 12 to 3. So we're privileged to have you there. Myrtle Beach is great. I wish it was under Better News Day. But man, this is, the, this is using the, all the resources of Fox. We bring you the latest breaking news and analysis like nowhere else. And 10 years into doing our show, I'm pretty convinced. Okay, I'm 100% convinced. What I just said is 100% right. Back in a moment. On air, online, and on demand for 10 years. I tell you, you are always the first person I'm listening to in the morning. I'd like to compliment you on having the best show on radio. Thank you. We've got a craving for a conservative like you. You guys are telling the truth, and I couldn't tell you how thankful we are. I just want to thank you for being cheerful and, you know, making me laugh every day. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Cooperation, not contempt. Security, not anarchy. And there will be no anarchy. Civilization must be cherished, defended, and protected. The voices of law-abiding citizens must be heard, 
and heard very loudly. President gave a speech, a great speech on Saturday. Uh, I know the great, all the information that we've been over, uh, all this breaking news about the cities, the riots, the racial unrest, and the Antifa-like uh, action, uh, the police, uh, the policing, the four dead, the 41 states under siege. We look past SpaceX, actually putting two men back into space, first time in nine years, and then they already, in 19 hours, they hit the space station, so they're in and everything's great. The president gave a great speech on Saturday. Didn't get enough play because he had some tweets that he definitely want back. Uh, don't bring up dogs, attack dogs. Uh, don't bring up uh, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. We don't need that. And I think the president realized that, and I think he heard it from a lot of Republicans, too. Chris is listening to WRCN on Long Island. Hey, Chris. How you doing? Um, you know, a lot of this could have been avoided in the first place. Did those cops pushing back people filming? One of them actually yanked the guy off of his neck and arrested him right then and there. This whole blue wall thing has got to stop. That is what people are mad about because they know damn well, but not now, but in other cases, that he's going to uh, go transfer to the city and do the same thing over and over again. He's obviously a repeat offender. He's got his record. You know, so, I mean, if this blue wall stops, you're going to see a lot of this, this rest, unrest not happen in the first place if they're held accountable immediately. I agree. And this was such egregious behavior. I'm so heartened to see other cops say, listen, that's not the way we're trained. We never learned that. We don't do that. Now, this guy's got 17 different violations and charges against him in 19 years. 19 years, three uh, revolve around violence. And then we watch. He was the third car in to this thing. Evidently, George, uh, uh, George was uh, drunk. He has heart disease. Yeah, Floyd was drunk with heart disease. So it has nothing to do with it. Uh, he was not violent. He didn't hit them. It was the owner of the, con- of the convenience store that came up to his car and said, you gave me a phony 20, reportedly. And when they wouldn't do it, they called when he wouldn't give it back or the cigarettes back. He called the co- they called the cops. The cops arrived. He wouldn't listen. More cops arrived. The third car in was this clown. And he ends up ripping out of the car and putting it on his neck. And we all know what happened after. Uh, I agree with you. Great cops got to get rid of the bad cops. You guys know who they are. Jeff, listening online in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I, I, I want to respect that last caller very much. And, I, and I'm going to tell you something, Ryan. Let's tell you a show um, a lot. Today you almost made me cry because you made me realize something that I was being ignorant about. As an African-American and, and a person who's 59 years old, when I hear people say stuff like 99% of the cops are good and the rest of it, I know it's, it's a lie because there's 99% of nothing that's human that's, that's good. But you actually, when you said you didn't want to hear people defending the cops, it almost made me cry because I thought that the people that said those stupid things to me uh, that they were just racist and they didn't. But I honestly believe that, that that you just never saw those things that I've seen in my life, and that was just your life experience. Yeah. I'm almost well up now. and and But I'm just telling you, Brian, I'm 59 years old, I'm African-American. I have a sister that's a, a, a cop down here in North Carolina, and I spoke at a rally this weekend. What hurt me more than anything was this. The people that support Donald Trump, the MAGA hats, the Trump pen signs, if you look out throughout, Everything this week, all through the country, you don't see any of these people out there supporting uh, um, the cause or saying what was wrong, what happened in this incident. You don't see one MAGA hat nowhere. You don't, you don't, you don't see none of them supporting their fellow Americans, but they come up, they want to make America great again. That is reality. 
Look at it, Brian. Okay, Think I just, about can it. I just slow down? Oh, can I slow down one second? Um, you said that you're saying that you didn't see any Trump supporters come out and condemn, or are you saying that the Trump supporters didn't defend the cop, or you're saying they no, didn't? No, what condemn? I'm saying like, is, you, if you if you look at the protest, the peaceful protesters, you didn't see anybody that had a MAGA hat on or a Trump pit sign. No way. None yeah. of those people are on the ground. You don't see none of them. Nowhere in the country, not just in Raleigh, where there were thousands of people. And I spoke, and like I said, I have a sister that's law enforcement. I spoke um, this weekend at the ra- at a rally. And if you look throughout the country, you don't. Where the Trump Pence people at? Where are the Make America Great people at? They're not supporting their fellow citizens. Why not? I think it's pretty obvious. Think but about you, it. Ryan. They're condemning the cops. No, but I I, I got to understand. Maybe I'm the only one who doesn't. I just want to make sure your point is made. Marching. Your point. Your point, point is, is. I think there's mo- every Trump supporter is a, sees what happened in Minnesota, and is horrified. See what happens in Georgia, and is horrified. Is that that crazy? That woman, that 28 year old woman, screaming at a black man who said, "Put the, uh, uh, put your dog on a leash," and started screaming, is horrified. I don't know anybody that defended, for example, those three behaviors. Me Are you either, heartened either, by but, that? But you're missing okay. my point, Brian. You're missing my point. They're not locked arms in arms marching in front of those cameras so the whole world can see them working together with their fellow Americans. They're African-Americans. They're not doing it, Brian. There's no visuals of that. What they're doing is they're sitting on social media. I'm telling you what they're not doing. I told the crowd to look around, too, when I spoke this weekend in Raleigh. I said, look who's not here. Look at this. Look, look who's not here. There's no. That's Trump a good point. That, that's There's interesting. No make but here, that, that's interesting. Here, here's would you also would you also say this? Did you see those cops in New York City uh, take a knee with the others taking a knee yes, in honor? Like in yes, so that that's what I'm talking about. The other thing you have to understand yes. too is you're out and you're saying I don't like this behavior. You're saying you would like to have seen uh, Trump supporters out with you doing that. Saying, I, I, I cannot go that? along with that. But what would make you think they weren't the there country. just not wearing the hats? What would make you think they what weren't I'm there just is, not wearing the Trump hats? What I'm saying is... Because I saw is, a lot of different groups involved. Yeah, but you didn't see them. That's what I'm saying. They wear their mega hats when they were Trump. They make America great again. You had a chance to, to make America great again by joining with, with, with Americans who are all... Uh, find that what happened yeah, despicable. I, that would, I, I could see what you're saying. I could see what you're saying, but I could also say this. If they showed up with a red hat to lock arms, they would have been attacked in two seconds. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show on one of the most, um, I guess, impactful days that we've ever done a broadcast. When you think about the civil unrest, when you think about the antics that have taken place, the racial, uh, uh, the racial unrest, the horrible policing in Minneapolis, from the arrest of the CNN reporter to the horrible way in which uh, in which George um, uh, George uh, Floyd's death uh, was handled, how he was handled, even when we get the details, you just uh, actually if you watch the tape on the New York Times of the whole timeline of events, of all these different camera angles, most of which you probably have never seen before, you're even more angered and horrified by the reactions of these Minneapolis cops. But what I have seen in 41 states, in dozens of cities across this country, has, uh, to me, nothing to do 
with him. This has everything to do with hatreds of our nation, hatred of what we stand for. That's why the Lincoln Memorial was defiled. That's why the White House was almost breached. That's why the St. John's Church uh, was uh, firebombed and the whole basement was on fire. That's why St. Patrick's was on fire. That's why the World War II Memorial was desecrated. This is anti-American behavior. The looting in New York City and beyond is sickening and it's organized. They drop bricks off, pallets of bricks off in the middle of the street and just start wrecking things. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If you have a man with your knee on his neck and he is telling you, you're killing me. I cannot breathe. You're killing me. How long does it take for premeditation to manifest itself? I think you need to do what fits the facts. And to me, I think it's a murder one charge. Derek Chauvin. The Minneapolis office who was started it all. His case and the fate of the other offices involved front and center. Number two. In many places, it appears the violence is planned, organized, and driven by far-left extremist groups using Antifa-like tactics, many of whom travel from outside the state. Uh, that is uh, Attorney General Barr. Who are these rioters? How do we separate them from the protesters who are upset about the series of brutal race-related killings, too organized and too effective to be rage-inspired, more like anti-American-fueled? Number one. We support the right of peaceful protesters, and we hear their pleas. But what we are now seeing on the streets of our cities has nothing to do with justice or with peace. I can't argue on that suppressing the United States. Six straight days of unrest in dozens of cities, stores stripped and looted, some historic buildings of fire and defiled on fire and defiled. We have the aftermath and the best of the best on how to stop it. And that's what's got to be going on at the White House today. The presidents have a series of meetings. I hope builds towards a White House address, but not an address that talks in generalities. Talk about a strategy to take down anti-American groups as opposed to addressing racial disparity in this country. You can do both because I think there is a dissemination. Let's bring in Michael Goodwin. Uh, He is a New York uh, Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Uh, Michael, have you ever seen anything like this in your life? Good morning, Brian. Well, it certainly uh, reminds you of the 60s in some way. Those of us who are old enough to remember those times where there were legitimate protests primarily against the Vietnam War and uh, civil rights issues even before that. But then much of this turned to violence. Uh, And we saw that. And that became, I think, the defining element is that, as the president says, the violence overtakes and drowns out any other motive. And it it becomes a thing unto itself. And that's what is remembered. And there is simply no way to justify the violence and the looting and the arson. That that has nothing to do with racial grievance, has nothing to do with George Floyd or any historic issues. That is simply, uh, as you say, I think correctly, anti-Americanism. There's an anti-American quality. There are groups of people in this country who hate this country and who want to bring it down, and they want to destroy any 
anything that to them represents the country, whether it's our history and so through statues, whether it's our First Amendment rights uh, about speech or religion. Uh, so they want to destroy, not fix, not repair, not uh, reconcile. They want to destroy. And I think that it, uh, the president is is right to draw that distinction. I, I would differ, though, Brian, on one issue, and that is this question of a presidential speech, an Oval Office address, etc. I think that's probably premature. I think a simple statement uh, with uh, with the Attorney General about prosecution, uh, with adding muscle to the forces in the street, whether it be actual military, more National Guard, more police, I, I think that we, we need to quell this quickly. I don't think we need to um, uh, have a presidential address from the Oval Office that gets yeah, people I disagree. thinking or arguing. I, I, did, I disagree, I, because we need a national tactic. All these states well, need yes, the I National Guard, and it's all in reaction. That where was the National Guard last night in New York City? I've never seen anything like it. You have 41,000 NYPD officers, and they were all caught late to almost every block. The, the nicest stores, all forced to shut down because our governor wants zero deaths and a vaccine before he opens it up, I guess. Now you have people destroying, in a coordinated effort, destroying block by block a country. This isn't racial disparity being protested. This isn't people showing rage. This is a calculated takedown of the country. Have you seen the video of pallets of bricks being dropped off in the middle of the street in New York City? And then in comes this army and they start taking the bricks and throwing them through windows with a second wave just taking out a whole, a whole, uh, a whole store one after another? Yes, look, I mean, and, and that, that is the destructive element here, and it's got to be stopped. I mean, I think there can't be another night like that. And so that's what I hope the president is working on today with the attorney general uh, and, and even with the military, if that's necessary, coordinating with the local police departments. So I, I, I completely agree with you on the necessary for action, necessity for right. action. I, I, I don't agree that a presidential speech is is going to deliver that. I think that the president does not give great speeches in these circumstances, and I think to rush one out uh, in the middle of this would overshadow uh, the action. This is not a time for words. This is a time for deeds. Yeah, it doesn't have to be long. Uh, it could be written with his national security advisor in mind. It could be very similar to Saturdays after that SpaceX launch. He, he quickly par, uh, pivoted yeah. over to the unrest in the country. He did not help himself with his tweets about dogs. He did not swell to help himself with tweets about when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Senator Tim Scott weighed in with that, who is a good friend of the president's. Talked to him right away. They amended his tweet. And I think it has a lot to do with Tim. Cut 48. Is that kind of talk from the president of the United States constructive at this moment? Well, those are not constructive tweets. Without any question. I'll say this. I spoke with the president yesterday morning, and he and I had a good conversation about what are the next steps. I told him what I'm going to tell you, which is, Mr. President, it helps us when you focus on the death, the unjustified, in my opinion, the criminal death of George Floyd. 
Those tweets are very helpful. It is helpful when you say what you said yesterday, which is that it's important for us to recognize the benefit of nonviolent protest. It is helpful when you respond to my request to have the Department of Justice, led by Attorney General Barr, have a commission and a conversation around race and justice in this nation. Mr. President, it is helpful when you leave with compassion. And that's what I thought. You build off Saturday, you make your comments there, and you no longer make mm-hmm. yourself a target but an inspiration while outlining that the National Guard is going to be mobilized in 50 states after the formal request from 50 governors. Right? I mean, why, why Minneapolis had 500 National Guardsmen the day, two days after the unrest happened is crazy. Yeah. Look, I, I think the... Obviously, some of these mayors are reluctant uh, to bring uh, a show of force into the street. And maybe that is, uh, you know, sort of uh, an error of omission in the first part. But but at this point, uh, after this has gone on for so long and been so destructive and so widespread, there's no there's no more time for being, uh, you know, slow about this. There's no excuse not to act immediately and protect, you know, we forget, Brian, sometimes that, you know, you mentioned stores being smashed and everything. They're owned by people. People work there. Uh, don't they have rights, too? I mean, this idea yes. that, you know, we're going to let them blow off steam. We're going to let them, you no. know, vent. I mean, that's been tried, and it always fails because it only appeases the most radical elements who say, aha, now we have the upper hand. You have to take the upper hand from them, and you have to do that with force. I want to bring up somebody else. Tiara de Blasio, a 25-year-old daughter of the mayor, was brought into custody at 1030 Saturday after cops infiltrated an unlawful assembly at 12th Street and Broadway in Lower Manhattan. A police report obtained by the Daily Mail showed that she was among 100 protesters who were arrested after they refused to move out of the roadway and were throwing objects at officers. He can't control his own daughter. You expect him to control a city? No, no, I don't. But you know, I have to say, Brian, I'm, I am, uh, along with you, uh, a pretty persistent critic of the mayor. I call him Mayor Putz. Um, but I have to say, you know, his defense of the police has been pretty pretty strong this time. Now, he is doing an investigation into the auto scene, but I think even that is going to prove that the officers were in fear of their lives, of being trapped by the mob, by the car in front of them that was surrounded and people were pounding on the roof of the car. I mean, cops are humans, for goodness sake. They get scared, too, in these situations, and they are not required to sit there and sacrifice themselves for somebody else's constitutional rights. They are there to uphold uh, the peace. And so I, I think the mayor has basically said the right things, but as always, he's very slow. And this issue with his family, I mean, it, it has been a problem throughout. I mean, his, pro- his, you know, his family, he's used his it for political purposes, but in fact, they have not helped him with a lot of their conduct, including, including his wife's trying to run a health system uh, that she just wasted nearly a billion dollars on. I mean, there, there's a lot of indulgence. Yeah, but while you, you beg, you're begging the federal government for a billion dollars and your wife throws in the street with no ramifications, now you won't open up the city to earn some tax dollars. Building the frustration, in my opinion, made all this worse. 
You had 53 deaths in New York. Now, that's tragic, but not in the pandemic tragic. That is like virtually zero. Things are plummeting quickly, and they're waiting for phase one to June 7th. You're going to tell me that doesn't play a role in the frustration and help leave these stores unguarded? Now they're never coming back. And then you're going to have your federal handout again, or you're going to raise taxes and beg the federal government for, uh, for additional dollars. Bad combination of bad leadership. And where's Governor Cuomo, who could never shut up for the last two months? We don't see him at all last night. Is he afraid right. he couldn't find a windbreaker and a camera? Right, right. So, Cuomo is uh, you know, ma- yeah. maximum power, minimum responsibility. That's his approach to every problem. We better end tonight. I don't know how much more this city can withstand. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Uh, you, can look at, uh, you can look at all his comms on foxnews.com and nypost.com. Uh, next, I'm going to take your calls. Every line is filled. 1-866-408-7669. Then I'm going to bring Zachary Wood, Board of Director for Heterodox Academy and author, uh, uh, Academy and author of Uncensored, My Life and Uncomfortable Conversations at the Intersection of Black and White America. Zachary Wood next. Not keeping you informed for 10 years. And he's not done yet. Brian, everything you say is awesome. I love your show. Brian, a great show. You know, it's fast paced. It's interesting. I wish I didn't have to work during the day. I love your show. You're, you're just different than any of the other folks on the radio. Some of them are just so negative. Thank you for what you do. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Unfortunately, with the rioting that is occurring in many of our cities around the country, the voices of peaceful protest are being hijacked by violent radical elements. Groups of outside radicals and agitators are exploiting the situation to pursue their own separate and violent agenda. That is the Attorney General talking about Antifa and groups like that. Some say, well, that includes white supremacist groups. I don't see that. You tell me. Um, White supremacist groups wrecking inner city neighborhoods? I don't I've never seen that. I don't know where they are. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Stuart, listening in tune uh, on the TuneIn app in Monroe, Louisiana. Stuart. Hey, Brian, how are you doing? Hey, I just want to respond Good. to Good. What's on your mind? Hey, I just want to respond to Jeff. Yep. First of all, I'm too busy working. Second of all, why would I go to a rally that I would get beat up at? And they have, they're walking hand in hand with the TIFA. And those people do not like MAGA hat people. I don't think I'd be getting beat up. And I, 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 I'm with uh, Congressman Gowdy. He should be tr- tried, murder one. He t- murdered that guy. I'm totally with it. He, I'm, he's, he better be glad I'm not on the jury or I'm not a, the judge. Would you support uh, President Trump? Would you like to make him a speech, uh, make a speech tonight? And if so, what do you want in it? Uh, that the American people stand with the George. Floyd fan, I, I, I feel horrible for that people, but the, 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 the Antifa, they do need to be a ter- terrorist group. They feel you as crazy. They feel you should go to another country so they could all be murdered. Because th- only in America do people get away with stuff like that. You know, where they, oh, we're this. They use our freedoms against us. The ACLU does that. And, and you know, and there's certain things I agree with the ACLU. 
But you you got to remember that you, you that we're a free country and people use our freedom against us. As usual, uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it, Anthony WRCN in New York. Anthony, uh, Brian, I'm responding to that guy who said he was at a rally and he was speaking. His sister was a policeman. Uh, I'm a Trump supporter. I believe in the rule of law. I I like what Barr's doing. Uh, I believe that only through the rule of law are we going to correct this problem. Uh, a couple of points. Number one is we had eight years of a lawless president, which obviously is coming out. He never, never addressed this uh, element of radicalization in the city of New York, uh, of the country. He never did. And Baltimore. Yep. He right? gave and him Ferguson. A pass. He gave him a pass. Now we see that. It's uh, maybe nothing's going to happen to him and in his administration for all the crimes that they did. So it's just we just fan the flames of radicalization. I want to make another point. Uh, the Real quick. Blue, the blue uh, line. They got to come out and be transparent. This reminds me of the Roman Catholics with the pedophile issue. They keep burying it. I've got people in my family that Absolutely. are blue. And I come from a r- multiracial uh, family. My grandchildren, 13 of them, half of them are of kids of color. Uh, the, this policeman killed the guy. All four needs to be uh, brought up. On End of story. Charges. You're right. You're right. That That's one thing they could stop. It's great watching you back. I understand it. Cops need to have watched cops, but not when they do lawless things because it makes them all look bad and makes their lives, it puts their lives in danger today and tomorrow. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, Minnesota... Is a is kind of a tale of two cities. It really is a beautiful, wonderful place. I love it here. I've raised all four of my kids here. There's so many great things about it, so many great people. And yet we have very stark disparities when it comes to African Americans, health disparities in health care, health disparities in housing, health disparities when it comes to employment, uh, and, and 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 disparities uh all around. I mean, and I'll give you a quick example, about 70 some percent of Minnesotans own their own homes, but only about 27 percent of African-Americans do. Uh, African-Americans are in a, in a fragile economic position in this state, and we need massive investment. That is Attorney General Keith Ellison. Uh, he'll now be taking control of this case. And he was giving his assessment of Minnesota, the inequities in society, which I'm all for making this country better and for everybody involved, always. What I can't uh, sign on to is 41 states with unprecedented violence and destruction and looting. I can't sign on to that. Uh, Zachary Wood is a board of director of Heterox Academy and author of Uncensored, My Life and Uncomfortable Conversation at the Interaction of Black and White America. Zach, I was looking forward to getting your response as a young African-American, uh, and you see most of these uh, people perpetrating a lot of the violence are not necessarily African-American, but are your age. What is your take on the violence we've seen in the protests that, that followed the Minneapolis uh, killing of, of George Floyd? Yeah, Brian, thanks for having me on. Um, I think, uh, you know, anger 
and uh, and even rage is a a natural and very human response to disturbance to abuse. Uh, I understand why people are angry, um, and anger is justified, but violence is not the answer. Violence is not okay, and violence should be discouraged and it shouldn't be condoned. So I, I understand what's going on, and I think we need to continue having. Uh, open, honest, and robust discussions about racial tensions and tensions between African-American communities and the police. But do you believe this is African-American community destroying cities, or do you think there's something else involved here, um, organized Antifa-related or not? I think uh, people are very angry, and when people are very angry, they're going to respond, right? And so you think about the options that people have in terms of what they can do in response, right? If you're if you're uh, an editor at a newspaper, if you're a writer, you'll write something about it. If you're a p- political actor, you'll you'll give a speech about it or you'll make a statement. If you're an ordinary citizen and you feel that your voice isn't really being heard, you're going to respond. And so we should always discourage violence as a response, right? So. On one level, we should try to empathize and understand where people are coming from. At the very same time, it's critical that we discourage violence, that we do not condone violence. It's not okay. It's not the answer. Uh, And we have to continue having uh, robust, challenging discussions about the complexities, the nuances, the tensions between African-American communities across the country and police. Why is there distrust? What are the historical implications? How can we move forward in a way that accounts for the data, accounts for the evidence, accounts for disparities in in treatment? But let's take a look. I mean, the question is, are the protesters that we see during the day, no matter how angry they are, are the same ones smashing windows uh, throughout Manhattan, Washington, D.C., trying to take uh, perpetrate the White House? Here's what uh, hardly a right winger, Bill and, and de Blasio, said. Say, here's okay. what. Here's what. Right, but but I'm just wondering. If it's the same people. Cut twenty two. Some protesters last night came with an agenda of violence and incitement, and they meant to harm police officers. And they did harm police officers. They meant to attack police vehicles, and they did. They meant to attack police precincts. And that is all purely unacceptable. It does not reflect our values. We will not accept that. Cut 21. Comes back to this point about why we are seeing a different kind of protest. In this case, we've got a lot of people who are organized. They plan together online. They have very explicit rules, and we're going to make all this information available today and in the days ahead. Some come from outside the city. Some are from inside the city. Some are from the neighborhoods where the protests take place. Some are not. But what we do know is there is an explicit agenda of violence, and it does not conform with the history of this city in which we have always honored nonviolent protests. So do you get organized in three days after seeing uh, the Minneapolis uh, officer? Is it possible that there is a coordinated effort here that drops off a pallet of bricks in the middle of 6th Avenue and out of nowhere, all these people show up to grab the bricks and start throwing them at people. Does that worry you? If you do, you sign on to that at all? 
no, I don't sign on to it at all. I think I think it should worry everybody. I think it is worrying everybody. I think I think everybody's talking about it. Everybody's thinking about it, and that's a, a good thing. Um, you know, I understand why people are angry. Um, anger is a natural response to this this challenge. Uh, and the two statements that you just played are reasonable assessments. I don't know who made them, but those are reasonable assessments. And I share uh, that gentleman's concern with the, the these manifestations of, of violence. And I think you know we have to we have to try to control them, reduce them, prevent them. Um, and respond to them accordingly. At the same time, you know, it all goes back to core and fundamental injustices that have to be addressed or else things like this will keep happening. So do I you think... think um, do you, so would, where, where, how much do you see it? How, how much do you see it? When, for example, with law enforcement. If I was to yeah. tell you... Uh, what, what percentage of law enforcement do you think does their job well? Just you're unofficial, just from what Zachary Wood thinks. I think a significant majority. You know, it's tough. I can't put a number on that. But I think I, I would even say probably the overwhelming majority of police officers are doing an honorable uh, job every day to try to keep their community safe. You know, I think... The, the number of police officers out there who wake up and say, I want to go bother somebody because they're black. Or, you know, a lot of this has to do with formations of hyper-masculinity and people's psychological makeup and their mindset and what they have going on and what they've experienced. And, you know, some people have been bullied in school. I mean, there's, there's so many factors at play that lead to, you know, significant acts and patterns of aggression and human behavior. So I don't think it's it's not just about race, right? It's, 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 it's a human thing. And so it's a, it's a complex conversation that I think we need to have and we need to have more of these conversations. But to the question of police, I think the overwhelming majority of police officers are working hard to keep their community safe. And I think they deserve our respect and I think they deserve our gratitude. And I think the police officers who are out of line, who, mm-hmm. who, uh, as agents of the government are doing terrible, horrible things should face consequences that are appropriate to the injustices that they've perpetrated. But by and large, no, I don't think the police is the police are, you know, a racist occupying army or anything of the sort. Uh, and I think we need to be clear about that. I think we need to draw distinctions and I think we need to recognize subtleties and nuances, and we have to be able to separate things that are outliers and episodes from, you know, things that are more frequent occurrences. There's a difference between an outlier, there's a difference between an outlier and an episode and pattern. So I think we, we've got to get into the weeds on this. We have to try to be mindful of the fact that whenever there's, there, there is a tragedy, emotions surrounded, right? So people are, are going to feel strongly, and that's okay. Uh, but at the same time, we want to think about the most effective way to actually move the needle and make progress on the issue, I think. Part of your book, uh, you talked about growing up in the white world where you were like one of the few black kids and then going into 
uh, a black world where you were you were amongst uh, the black community more. What what can just give us an idea for people who didn't read your book Uncensored? What could which could you relay, being that you had a chance to view both realities? Well, for me, I mean, I was always a people person, right? I liked people. I liked talking to people. I like getting to know people. Um, and so when I started going to a private school in fourth grade, it was in an affluent community that was very different from the from communities that I had grown up in. And so it was challenging, right, because everybody wants to fit in and belong and be able to relate to their peers. And so I kind of just tried to, to, to lean into it, and, and I, I made some great friends, and I learned some incredible things and you know some of my closest friends have uh, you know, from very different backgrounds are, are, are from affluent backgrounds come from all different walks of life and so it made me a more open-minded person it made me a more empathetic person i think so often we just think of empathy as something that we extend to people who are facing familiar challenges but everybody faces challenges Right, and so I think one challenge worthy of all of us that's, that's worth all of our time and attention is trying to extend empathy when it's difficult to do so. So extending empathy to people we disagree with, extending empathy to people we dislike, extending empathy to people who are less familiar, uh, whose backgrounds are less familiar, whose circumstances are less familiar, trying to be more empathetic on an individual level, I think is something we all can do. And so. My experience, I think, certainly made me more empathetic and more open and, and more compassionate. And so I have a quote. I'm, so I'm trying to get better right. at this. And very impressive already. Zachary Wood, our guest. And this is what I'll, I'll close with. Uh, you know, I'm reading a lot about Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln and how they worked together in the civil, leading up to and after the Civil War. Sadly, uh, Lincoln obviously didn't uh, survive it, and we all are worse off because of that. But he had a great quote. This is a guy that grew up a slave who was beaten repeatedly, found a way to escape, was seven years a fugitive, and became one of the most famous men in the world. He said this, uh, He is the best friend of his country, who at this tremendous crisis dares tell his countrymen the truth, however disagreeable that truth may be, and such a friend I will aim to be. I will hold up America to the lightning scorn of moral indignation. In doing this, I shall feel myself discharging the duty of a true patriot, for he is the lover of his country, who rebukes and does not excuse its sins. So that's a guy that sees problems with our country, obviously in the 1860s, and says, I care enough to be critical. He's That's where I profound, wish we could come from, care enough a, to be a, critical. A, a profound leader, uh, an exceptional orator, uh, uh, distinguished thinker. I mean, he's just, he's a towering figure in our history, and I think that quote is, is very pertinent today. I would also say before we close, Bill Clinton made a statement about this, and I think everyone should read it. I think it's it's a profound statement, and I think it captures precisely what we should be thinking about at this time. All right. I'll look it up. Uh, thanks so much, Zach Wood. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. You got it. one 408 When we come back, I'll take your calls. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show on a day in which people are trying to process the horrific things we're witnessing that has taken the horrific murder of a man in in the broad daylight for everyone to view and be horrified by in the middle of a pandemic like we haven't experienced since 1918.
And both those stories have been swamped by the chaos and unrest throughout our country. And the whole world is watching, uh, evaluating, in some cases mocking, in all cases horrified. Back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Folks across uh, Minnesota and across this country, uh, as they gather to express their, uh, their frustration and their pain, one of the things they've been making very, very clear, they don't trust the process. They don't believe justice can be served. And their frustrations are they believe that time and time again, the system works perfectly well as it was designed to deny those rights and deny justice uh, to communities of color. We have to make that process work for people. Yeah, Governor, uh, do that if you can, because evidently the more we find out about the Minneapolis police force, have been problems like this for a while. This guy's got 19 different uh, accusations against him. Uh, they've all been dismissed, including three shootings. Uh, the other guy, one of his partners who was standing there in front, the Asian guy, uh, he said he's got three or five different problems, one of which was a, uh, a fatal shooting. And I think, you know what, when you put people on there of questionable behavior, it ruins it for the great cops who don't do it for the money or the pension. They do it because they want to get back to their community. And you see it over and over again. And now they act like they're big surprises. You perpetrated their bad behavior on the rest of the country. And again, uh, creating a problem in all 50 states. How do you feel about it? What is your direct experience? How do you solve it? Should the president be speaking? I think the president's got to speak tonight. But not just say, hey, we're going to get through this. I think I want to hear about tactics. Uh, I want to hear about mobilization. I want to hear that, that he understands uh, some of the racial uh, disputes that are going on between law enforcement and, over, and, and the incidents that have taken place over the last, uh, especially over the last three months and maybe after the last 10 years. Remember, President Trump did not come into office and all of a sudden there's a problem between cops and minority communities. Remember Ferguson, remember Baltimore. So let me open up the phones right now. Let's go out to uh, Derek, uh, listening in Massachusetts. Derek, real quick. Uh, yeah, it's sad what we see going on today. And, you know, really this has nothing at all to do with what happened to the terrible, tragic death of uh, George Floyd. The Democrats, their policies over the decades have looted and robbed these communities of their livelihoods and opportunity between what they've done selling out to China and their policies driving businesses out of town. These communities are stuck in a vicious cycle. And that pent-up anger and all that desperation is being manipulated by a number of powers Maybe. in this country. Maybe. In, Maybe in, in some cases. In some other cases, they're just, they're just anti-American. I mean, when I see these protests standing in the street and you hear them talking about what's going on with uh, George Floyd, and I get that. But at night, when I see these people just breaking into stores and just ransacking it in organized armies, I I don't think that that is Democrats' problem. I think there's something really unsavory and underneath it. Dominic listening in Atlanta. Dominic. Good morning, Kilmeade. I was um, calling to say that I agree with 100% with you about President Trump needing to uh, take this opportunity to make a speech. Um, He's got uh, police officers taking knees with 
protesters in certain cities, certain, you know, law enforcement walking hand in hand with protesters. We've got Trey Gowdy saying he wasn't charged high enough. Um, you know, this is a layup for the president. And, you know, I, I don't want to tell the guy how to win because I'm not really, I'm not a fan of You don't him, want him to. I know. Yeah. It needs to I be hear. done. Like, and, and I agree with your, your other, um, you know, the guy that called in and said his sister's law enforcement and not seeing uh, people with MAGA hats and the guy that called in with the MAGA hat. Like, that could be a potential issue, but gotcha. the only way... I didn't mean to cut you off, Dominic, but thanks so much. We're up against a break. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, the latest hour. Four hours this morning on Fox and Friends because it's an extraordinary uh, news day, weekend, six days. Uh, you could say the last two months because we had the pandemic, which has killed over 100,000 Americans and has uh, stopped the economy in its tracks flat. Then we had the horrible death of George Floyd, 46 years old. We watched it. I don't know anybody who's not horrified by it and not trying to justify it. Uh, and, and, and not trying to justify. Everyone seems to be dead set again for the president on down. But it's all been swamped by the unrest in 41 separate states. Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour center. Tim Scott next, but first big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If you have a man with your knee on his neck and he is telling you, you're killing me, I cannot breathe, you're killing me, how long does it take for premeditation to manifest itself? I think you need to do what fits the facts. And to me, I think it's a murder one charge. Uh, that is Trey Gowdy, good friend of my next guest, Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis police officer who started it all. His case and the fate of the other officers involved front and center. Number two. In many places, it appears the violence is planned, organized, and driven by far-left extremist groups using Antifa-like tactics, many of whom travel from outside the state. Bill Barr, who are these rioters, and why do we separate them? Why should we separate them from the protesters? I think we should. Who are upset about the series of brutal race-related killings? Too organized and affected to be rage-inspired, more like anti-American, dare I say, Antifa. Number one. We support the right of peaceful protesters, and we hear their pleas. But what we are now seeing on the streets of our cities has nothing to do with justice or with peace. Six straight days of unrest, dozens of cities, stores stripped and looted, some historic buildings on fire and defiled. We have the aftermath and the best of the best on how to stop it. One of them is Senator Rick, uh, Senator Tim Scott. Senator Scott, welcome back. Hey, Brian, it's good, to be, it's good to be on the air with you again. Thank you, Brian. Senator, oh, you wrote a book about this, you and Trey Gowdy. You and I have spoken about this. I've seen you in action going into the inner cities in and around Washington. Is this, in your estimation, uh, American racism being looked to stop, like what we saw with that cop and the and George Floyd, or is this something else? Well, I think Brian, the impetus, the impetus of the uh, situation certainly is the death of George Floyd, and certainly a pattern that we need to deal with of racial episodes with justice. 
the violent protesters are nothing more than a selfish group of individuals that seem to have strategy that tells me that there's a whole lot more with these violent protesters really usurping authority, looking for anarchy, and getting all the attention away from an actual conversation about race and justice, an actual conversation about Mr. Floyd. These folks, their selfishness really drives me to a place of anger because ultimately you can't have a conversation when the police officers that are protecting the nonviolent protesters, their lives are in jeopardy. You can't have a conversation when the violence of these selfish individuals, and frankly, it appears to me to be an organized effort, is doing nothing but distracting the American public from a serious, significant opportunity to address issues in a peaceful, practical, and progressive manner. And unfortunately, Brian, you can't have that conversation today because of these crazy folks who are really just fomenting violence in spite of the fact that we can't have a peace-filled conversation. It just, it does drive me a bit bananas. Uh, yeah, because we want to talk. I, would, I don't mind talking about race in America. You lived it. You got a unique perspective on it. You know, Republicans were one that delivered the Emancipation Proclamation and Abraham Lincoln. Somehow that got reversed in the 60s. Um, and when LBJ delivered the civil rights legislation, which wouldn't have passed out Republicans, and you find yourself in a rare situation, a, a black Republican senator who's always forced to defend himself and your conservative beliefs, but you're not someone that's been walled off from uh, racism. And you've said that on the Senate, uh, on the, uh, Senate floor. You talked about yeah. you've been pulled over uh, before, right? Seven times in one year as an elected official, even stopped as a United States senator with my Senate lapel pin on from entering into uh, the Senate office buildings as an African-American. So the issue is a serious issue. I like to talk about the issue, Brian, with two very important backdrops. Number one, we are a nation of progress. The, the, there has been evolution of the heart, and we don't spend enough time talking about that. And number two, even though we still have serious issues that need to be dealt with, in the last three years, we've actually been dealing with the lack of fairness in the justice system, i.e. the First Step Act passed by President Trump. This was a significant change in direction from the 1994 crime bill. We've seriously focused on education and educational outcomes by focusing on historically black colleges and universities with the highest funding in the history of HBCUs because of President Trump's willingness to work with African-American leaders on the important issue of education. We, we could talk about charter schools and school choice. We could talk about health care disparities and the willingness, uh, willingness of President Trump to help me work on these issues. When I called him, he, he says, yes, Tim, what's the question? And, and without us acknowledging that, what we ultimately end up is with a press corps that is so anti-Trump they have spent zero time talking about the progress. And if we could see that progress, then we could have a different conversation about race and justice in America, recognizing the monumental leaps forward and still being able to address those issues 
that are persistent. But that's a fair conversation. It's hard to have a fair conversation when you have violent protesters distracting, selfishly denying a conversation around justice for Mr. Floyd, his family. Exactly, and and, and I've seen the extended. I've seen the I've seen the extended video. It's even worse than you could imagine. Uh, this officer was uh, Derek Chauvin. wasn't even the first on the scene. He was the third. Uh, you know, George Floyd was approached by the. Uh, convenience store owner asked him to get back the cigarettes because the $20 bill reportedly uh, was counterfeit. He didn't do it. And then this whole thing escalates really because this guy, Derek Chauvin, and he actually is in just uh, deaf to people yelling at him, you're killing him. And for the yes. family to have to see George Floyd die, I can just imagine it quadruples the pain, but it, but it understand how wrong this officer is. And I love the fact that fellow uh, police officers are calling him out and he got fired right away. Yeah, I will say that the law enforcement response from the South Carolina Police Chiefs Association, the sheriff's offices, the local law enforcement has been stunning in its unanimous decision to condemn the act of violence perpetrated against George Floyd by fellow officers. That is the kind of response we wouldn't have seen in 1960. We didn't hear about that in 1930. And it's one of the reasons why I want to have a conversation about progress in race, race and justice, because we have made so much progress, but you can't hear it if everyone is fighting. If there are looters, you can't have that conversation. And that is an, a, an injustice for the Floyd family. It's an injustice to Mr. Floyd. And frankly, as an injustice, to our nation. I, I told the, the protesters, the violent protesters yesterday at a conference with the Governor McMaster, please stay home because we are willing to do whatever necessary to keep our streets and our property and our people safe. It is important for all of us to have this dialogue, but we will not have it if people, other people's lives are in jeopardy. That, that, that kind of just right. flies in the face of the death of Mr. Floyd to kill more people, to lose more lives, to see businesses shuttered, unacceptable. Right. So, but I just feel like you're talking to two separate people. One uh, uh, are are people that uh, think the there's inequity between the way uh, minorities are treated by law enforcement and one in which they're not. And the other one is the one who really seems to be acting in an un-American way, trying to destroy our society, defile our monuments, defile the AFL-CIO, the Veterans Museum, the St. John's Church. And guess who else picked up on that? Uh, St. Paul Mayor Melvin Carter, who happens to be black, whose dad was a police officer. Listen to what he said he's finding out. Cut 35. There also seem to be people in those crowds who are very intense on sparking violence, on breaking windows, on starting fires, and on trying to convince those folks to, to, to engage in unlawful behavior. We're hearing very clearly from many of our uh, historic advocates, the folks who were on the front lines after Philando Castile were killed, the folks who have been on the front lines of the Black Lives Movement, uh, not only do they not know the folks who are right there inciting violence, but they're seeing people uh, jump out of those crowds to break a window and then go run back right back in and behind those crowds. Uh, it's very concerning for me. Wow. I mean, what do you have to say, Senator? 
Brian, he said it so well that there's not much left to be said except for what I said at the beginning. There is an organized element to this violent uh, overtaking of peaceful, progressive demonstrations. This is very concerning. It's one of the reasons why I use the word agitators. There are agitators who are trying to foment violence in the midst of these peaceful demonstrations. And you can't even see the coverage of peaceful demonstrations because wall to wall, when you have violence somewhere, it draws all the attention there. And that mayor, whom I probably don't agree with politically on almost anything, said exactly what I feel. Let's get rid of these agitators of violence, the folks who are fomenting violence because it distracts from a necessary conversation. I don't shy away from necessary conversations, but I want to do it in a way that is couched in reality, that it is saturated with truth. And we need both. We need to have a serious conversation while recognizing that we are ongoing in that conversation. Lastly, I know you got to run. Yeah, I hear you, man. Uh, Senator, I know you have to run, but real quick, do you do you hope the president gives a speech today, tonight? And would you, I imagine he'll go to you for some substance in that speech. If he was to do it, what has to be included and would you support it? I, I support what the president decides. I, I, am, I am only one voice that the president has allowed me to be a voice in his ear. And I am very thankful for that fact. But here's what I would love to hear from the president. I would love for him to tell people what the press refuses to tell them. I would love for him to start a conversation about the significant progress that we have made under his leadership on issues that are specifically designed and directed towards communities of color. I would love to have that entire conversation about the bills he has signed on health care, on economic opportunity, on opportunity zones, and yes, even on criminal justice reform. I would love for him to then take that conversation and weave in the many people who stand in solidarity against an unfair system wherever it exists and acknowledging the fact that we have pockets of unfairness in our justice system even today. And if he did that, I think we would find ourselves then able to have a, an adult conversation, a family conversation about the next steps going forward. And I believe he has already told me personally he's willing to have that conversation. He said, let's have some people at the White House and have that conversation. So the president is not uh, deaf on this topic. Frankly, he's willing to lean on. I'm just asking people to give him a chance to lead. I've watched it for three years. We don't agree on everything, but we have a healthy relationship built on hard times, and I can guarantee you that he will produce results for this nation, all of us, not for black folks or white folks, but for Americans. I think we can get there if we just give the opportunity, the conversation, the opportunity. Go get him. Uh, Senator Tim Scott, thanks so much. I'll, I'll talk to you soon, I hope. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Name of his book is Opportunity Knocks, How Hard Work, Community, and Business Can Improve uh, Lives and End Poverty. Uh, back in a moment with your calls, Brett Baer at the bottom of the arrow, one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. 
talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yeah, yes, I do feel like it's overshadowing what's going on because, like I said, he was about peace, he was about unity. But the things that's transpiring now, yeah, yeah, they, they, they may call it unity, but it's, to, it's destructive unity. It's not, it's not what he was about. That's not what my brother was about. You know, he, he, would, he would motivate you to channel, if you're angry, it's okay to be angry, but channel your anger to do something positive or make a change another way. It's very, very interesting. It's Terrence Floyd, brother of uh, George Floyd, who lost his life at the hands of a, uh, of a uh, just a, an uh, irresponsible uh, police officer who finds himself looking at a lifetime in jail and maybe others. But that's what I heard. I mean, George Floyd has got a lot of uh, YouTube tapes out there, one of which I saw talked about how he's worried about this next group of people. They're so violent, this next, this next upcoming age of African-Americans, because they're so violent, all they know is violence, death, and destruction. And he was also somebody that Stephen Jackson, who played for the Indiana Pacers for years and maybe some other teams, kind of lost track of them. They were longtime friends. They're both the same age. They, they went to school together. So... Uh, and then it watch ever the whole world, the whole country come apart because of it. Does, doesn't live up to his name, which has been the family's point all along. Missy, you're in West Virginia. Hey, Missy. Hi, Brian. I have a lot to say, and I'm hoping that what I'm going to say is going to be healing as opposed to being offensive. I was a cop for 20 years. For 20 years, on average of 36 times a year, I went to court with basically 300 cases in every courtroom. Never in any of the times that I've ever gone to court has a person's race been brought up in court. The place to fight the police is in a courtroom. It's not on the street. Police have interactions with 900 million people a year. And last year, 1,019 people died in out of that 900 million contacts. Why? Because they were in the commission of a crime, and they chose to not fight that in a courtroom. I'm completely against racism. But as a cop for 20 years... I've been called a racist more times than I can tell you. And my partner, we don't have, technically have partners, but my coworker has been called an Uncle Tom merely for being black. What happened to Mr. Floyd wasn't racist, okay? It was wrong. It was disgusting. And as a former cop, it's disgraceful. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating to every cop who is trying to do the right thing out there. But my point is, your earlier caller said, why aren't the MAGA hats here? I would like people to stop doing an all or nothing. I'm a conservative. Why? Because I believe in doing the right thing. I believe that what happened was wrong. But the fact that I support our president and the things that he stands for, which are secure borders, people doing the right thing, the right thing. Okay? Gotcha. Thanks so much for your call. Thanks for what you did. I enjoy your message. And we'll be picking it up in 15 minutes after Brett Bear. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's Chris Wallace. Look, I'm a busy man. I don't. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize we were on. Look, this started out as Kilmeade and Friends, and then it became the Brian Kilmeade Show, which I think tells you something about the raging egotism of this guy. And, you know, 
this receptive voice thing, I still don't understand it, and he's still unable to explain it to me. But I will say that Thursday mornings when I get to talk to Brian, it is mildly entertaining and mildly interesting, and it's in my contract, so I will do it again. Oh, I, I got to congratulate. Oh, hey, Brian, congratulations on a great 10 years. I'm so excited, and I can't wait for another 10 talking to you once a week. Are we off the air yet? Oh, okay. Thank you. That was that was Chris Wallace. Um, it's amazing he was able to do that while the whole world falls apart around us, but it has been 10 years since we started the show, and Chris has been there, and so has Brett. Brett, I wish it was better circumstances, but I appreciate you joining us in one of the most – I watched you all last night, uh, one of the most impactful times in our history, uh, times in which, yeah. my goodness, I don't know anything like this before. No. Uh, well, first of all, 10 years, that's, that's a long time, man. We are, we're getting old. I really think it should be friends and kill meat um, because we're really, really the ones <laughs> that float this show. We're the really the ones that are the big draws. But um, 87,600 hours, that's 10 years. And uh, that's a long time to be a successful radio show. So I'm happy to be a part of it. And congratulations. Thanks, man. And uh, we appreciate you've been there almost every step of the way every week for most of that time. So that's been uh, truly an honor, uh, especially because there's so many pivotal moments. If you go back since we took this job, I mean, we had the election mess. We didn't know who our president was, uh, everything that was going on uh, with the 9-11 afterwards, the Iraq war. Then you go through the historic election of uh, President Obama. You have two terms uh, there. And then you have the stunning news of President Trump. I mean, every step of the way, uh, so many times I go to you and it's like, make this make sense. Brad, I'm going to ask you to do it again. We're in the <laughs> middle of a pandemic with 41 states have reported civil unrest. National Guard in 27 states have been activated. And there's no promise that the worst is over yet. Can we put this in perspective? Well, listen, it's, it's bigger than George Floyd. We all know that. Um, it is deeper than that for some of these communities. Uh, they're on edge because of they've been locked in a pandemic lockdown. Uh, the economy in many of these places is really, really hurting. Um, and add to that the outside groups that want to stir this up. And really, the violence and the rioting uh, is not coming from the people who are out there for George Floyd. Uh, it's coming from organized groups. When you get these reports in cities across the country of cars with no license plate being prepositioned, filled with bricks and uh, ignitable uh, materials, uh, ignition, you know, Molotov cocktail cocktail uh, in all of these places. And there's stashes around cities. I talked to um, someone last night responsible in D.C. Uh, who said that they've found several stashes being prepared for this night. And so the mayor of D.C. just comes out and says, we're going to move the curfew from 11 p.m. to 7 p.m. Well, that should have been done last night, because by 11 p.m., St. John's Church was on fire. Um, this is bigger than all of that. We have bigger issues as a country to deal with, but the, in the short term is to get back to law and order um, and make sure that this doesn't happen on the streets. What is it like in Washington? I mean, you saw Leland Vitter. You, you witnessed that. 
and I mean, there's no doubt about it. He was threatened, and if he did not have security, uh, who knows what would have happened? Nothing good. And then you see the Lincoln Memorial defiled, World War II Memorial defiled, the basement of St. John's, the team, the hay at the front of AFL-CIO and the Veterans Administration buildings. I mean, these are some of the foundational things of our country, Brett. Yeah, I mean, Georgetown, the shops there uh, looted. Um, a friend of, of mine uh, there beaten up, trying to stop people from going into different places. Um, yeah, it, it's a tinderbox, and it continues to go. And it's um, it's got to be stopped. And I think you're going to start to see uh, some messaging out of um, both local and state leaders uh, that's going to step up the, the patrols. I, I do think that in the big picture, Brian, we, we have to deal with the big items and some of these communities that feel like, you know, a disconnect. You know, income inequality is real. It's got to be dealt with in the way where everybody's lifted up. And the crazy part is that we're still in this pandemic. And remember social distancing and the coronavirus? That was only a oh. few days ago. It's, you know, know, it's a chapter by chapter thing that we operate in America. Listen, I welcome the opportunity to show the progress we've made as a country and the progress we still have to make. The best thing about our country is we keep on trying to make it better, even though it's violent and convulsive and it looks like we're coming apart. We we make it better. The thing is, what I'm witnessing and what people are telling me what they're seeing front and center is an organized insurgency that is predominantly anti-American. And I'm not talking about the family and friends of George Floyd. And I want you to hear what the St. Paul mayor said, Melvin Carter, cut 35. There also seem to be people in those crowds who are very intent on sparking violence, on breaking windows, on starting fires, and on trying to convince those folks to, to, to engage in unlawful behavior. We're hearing very clearly from many of our uh, historic advocates, the folks who were on the front lines after Philando Castile were killed, the folks who have been on the front lines of the Black Lives Movement. Uh, not only do they not know the folks who are right there inciting violence, but they're seeing people uh, jump out of those crowds to break a window and then go run back right back in and behind those crowds. Uh, it's very concerning for me. So, look, that's a guy, he's an African-American, young mayor, very talented, and his dad was a cop. And he can't even talk about racism. He's talking about what's going on with these people in the crowd. They don't have a racial justice agenda. They have an anti-American agenda is what I keep getting. Yeah, and listen, George Floyd's uh, relatives now out on television saying this violence and and rioting and looting does nothing uh, to honor him or to the cause that now is sparked from him. There, is, there are videos all over social media of white people dressed in all black spray painting Black Lives Matter on windows and um, businesses and being confronted by African Americans in that community saying, wait a second, you, that's not what we want. And, you know, this is my store. Uh, so it, there is an organized element to it that is falling behind the peaceful protesters. And again, these caches of bricks and pallets of bricks and ignitable material, uh, that's being put there by somebody. And that's what we have to find out. Right. So, Brett, what's your approach to today if you're the president? 
I mean, I think it would be this is the perfect time to make an address, not just not in generalities to talk about the strategy worked out with governors this afternoon going forward with the national guys mobilized in the 41 states are requested. I hope they all 41 states across it. Uh, some type of substance along with his belief that racial justice needs to be addressed. Do you think yep. you can combine that in a crisp address that I think would provide the leadership that Republicans and Democrats would be looking for? Yeah. I mean, listen, he's meeting. There are some high level meetings at the White House today, including meeting with the attorney general, other officials. Um, he I would suspect he's going to make some kind of formal statement um, and in a law and order aspect, but also touching on the, the anger and the, the hurt. I think, you know, some of the remarks were missed the other day at uh, NASA uh, yep. that were structured that way. But he needs to do it just alone on what we've seen. And um, the tweets we've said many times, oftentimes either can be misinterpreted, can be said the wrong way, or can inflame things uh, just by by his tweets. And um, I think a speech is probably his aides would say um, in the in the offing. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what happens. And the word is, you know, I was listening, reading Jonathan Swan's report that his tweets on Friday, I think it was, when he came out and said, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, got, uh, he really got his big, his, some of his biggest supporters very worried and angry, saying, Mr. President, this is the wrong time. And that got him to do something almost unprecedented, and that is correct it afterwards. Is that what your sources are saying, too? Yeah, and... Um and again, you know, a lot, he, he uses Twitter, as we know, uh, and he talks about it to get above the heads of the press. But in a crisis like this, um, it, it, people need to hear from the president and not, you know, in so many characters on Twitter, probably. All right. Uh, have you picked your panel tonight? Yeah, we have Molly Hemingway, Chris Steyerwalt, uh, and Mar Lyson tonight. We've got Britt Hume. I also have Bob Johnson, uh, who founded uh, Black Entertainment Television, BET, uh, and he's going to be on the show. And uh, obviously we'll be monitoring all things across the country as the uh, night unfolds. Yeah, great job last night too, Brett. Uh, thanks so much, Brett. And I do appreciate Congrats you on being 10 on years. every week. You got it, man. Thank you. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Normally, I would do a more to know here, but I just want to hear what you have to say about what you expect tonight and what you've witnessed over the last six days. Brian Kilmeade Show. By the way, Brian's getting close to 10 territory. Actually, Mr. President, he's already there celebrating 10 years. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The dilemma you have, as we had in 2016, when I had to call the National Guard to a city where I'd been mayor for 14 years, you do have these groups of anarchists that the governor of Minnesota and the mayor of St. Paul and Minneapolis said very well, and it needs to be exposed. You have a small group of violent people, domestic terrorists, who follow the concept of the art of war. They'll hit and run. They'll break windows, they'll set fires, then they'll run, and even using social media, they'll maneuver around very well-trained police officers who are trained to do riots, 
And this is why they cause so much destruction within a peaceful protest. And that is uh, former governor of North Carolina, Pat McCory, who's a very good talk show host, too. Uh, he was just weighing in saying, listen, I know these tactics. He saw them in North Carolina. These aren't people that just want racial justice. They're people who want to destroy your state, your town, your city, your street. Uh, Gene, listen on KFTK in St. Louis. Hey, Gene. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for calling. I just had two quick comments. One was I love Dan, Dan Bongino, and your interview with him this morning was spot on. He needs to, somebody needs to funnel that right directly to Donald Trump or the people that are actually overseeing all this. The second thing was that gentleman that called the 59-year-old African-American, that is nothing but a politically hate-driven statement. I didn't see any Biden hats. I didn't see any Warren hats. And I, for one, voted for Trump. Not of. Uh, I just thought he was the best man for a job. I didn't. I didn't want Clinton in there. But and I, I don't necessarily support anybody. But I like a businessman in office. But what he said today was one of the most biased and hateful things I think I've heard out of this whole thing. If not bordering on ignorance. Well, yeah, in case you remember, I got a caller. He's a great caller. He just said that he was out there. He spoke in North Carolina, and he said that he wished he could have seen some Trump supporters' MAGA hats out there. Everybody knows if you walk up in a situation like that with a MAGA hat on, you are basically going to be accused of inciting violence. But what he, what he I think his sentiment is correct, and I think he's getting it. You have Republicans, Democrats, moderates, uh, blacks, whites, Asians, Hispanics saying, oh, my goodness, this is horrific. Let's... Let's uh, let's attack racial injustice wherever we can. Let's talk about it in law enforcement in the in the most progressive way possible. Let's talk to law enforcement and figure them in the conversation. Unfortunately, when you wreck city after city after city, when you're knocking off iconic places in cities like Philadelphia, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, San Diego, and then you want to talk about racial justice, to me that's a whole different ball game. Because the racial injustice that I saw being protested uh, in an organized way and with, with people speaking on television, as opposed to the ransacking of a country, I think is dramatically different. I don't think they're the same people. Uh, let's go to Melanie. Listen on WHIO in Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Melanie. Yeah, uh, I've been the wife of a cop for 23 years. My brother's been a cop for over 20. I just have a concern about conservatives commenting about how the good cops know who the bad cops are and that somehow it's their responsibility to help filter out these bad cops. For one thing, you're following the left's narrative, calling them good cops, bad cops. And another thing, you know, all these officers are out there. They're working hard. They're doing their job. They're making sacrifices. Their energy is not spent on finding, quote, bad cops, unquote, within the departments. You know, when an officer does something wrong, you know, other people are not responsible any more than I'm, you know, responsible for somebody else that does something wrong. And the cops here in Dayton that stopped the shooter last summer um, are the norm. They're, I wouldn't necessarily even call them good cops. That's a normal cop. He's just out there. They're doing their job. They're trying to uh, keep the public safe. So I just really am right. concerned about. OK, let, let me let me let, let, let's examine what you just said. You're 100 percent right. Appreciate uh, uh, law enforcement always. But if I'm working with somebody that now I'm producing a show, if I'm working with people, you got a staff of four, if two aren't doing the job, I'm not covering for them when my boss comes up to me. I'm going to go, listen, I'm doing twice as much work as everyone else. I don't like the, the three-hour lunches they're taking. Now, this is not life and death. This is just a fact. 
Now, if I'm an officer and I'm coming up to scenes and it's, one, it's chaos after chaos because of what, what, what turns out to be bad behavior from a police officer, nothing's more impactful than that fellow police officer walking in going, uh, such and such is a, is a menace on the street. You better talk to him or retrain him because he's making us all look bad. I don't see what's wrong with that. No, and I agree in that specific situation. But I think the comments that I heard from conservatives especially were like somehow these, you know, officers are supposed to look within their department and try to figure out who these bad guys are before an incident happens. And that's just that's not realistic. You know, the good guys are out there doing their job and their energy is spent on keeping the public safe and doing their job, not necessarily looking out for who's going to be, you know, someone that's liable in the department. Gotcha. Thank you. Angela, WRCN, New York. Angela. Commission to get us through COVID-19. We have an economic commission to get the businesses back up and running. We need a justice commission with the president and former presidents, everybody coming together as a sign of unity and those directly affected by injustice. And America needs to get through this because every one of my ancestors fought for it. And we need to take back our country and be proud of it, all of us as Americans together in unity. I hear you. Uh, The protesters I don't have a problem with. Uh, The rioters I have a problem with. And I think they're two different people. That's my, I can't deal with the rioters. I can deal with the protesters because the rioters don't seem to have the patriotism that you have. We'll see how this develops over the next few days. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening. Go to Brian Kilmeade Show, briankilmeade.com and find out where we'll be. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.